Keep your Bibles open, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. We'll be working our way through uh, 21 to 38. Throughout our Advent study, we've kept our eyes focused on Jesus, uh, and, and so we should. You have heard me say repeatedly that one of the dangers in uh, Advent series is that we focus more on the players than uh, Jesus himself. Uh, the players, mind you, uh, all have a very strategic sovereign role to play, but their role, their purpose is defined by their relationship to Jesus, just like you and me very now, uh, in this very day. Uh, our purpose in life, uh, our identity is, is marked by our relationship with Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I looked up the word fix, what this means to fix our eyes on Jesus in anticipation of some of the things I'd be saying today. It's a beautiful, simple definition. It's to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other object. Isn't that fantastic? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That is to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other distraction, every other object. The writer of Hebrews would go on to say to, to remove ourselves from the sin that so easily entangles. What an appropriate Advent introduction this fourth week of this holy season. We all know, <laughs> boy do I, we all know how easily distracted we can become. I hear that from a people as I move about through the course of the week and I talk with various people. Um, they talk about being distracted. They, they don't they don't try to be distracted, but uh, a lot of times the things of life are, are distracting. And there are things that we need to tend to, uh, but there are also those distractions that we choose, uh, perhaps uh, our phones or our uh, televisions or our food or our books. These things can become distractions and take us away from the main thing, particularly during this Christmas season. We can easily miss the centrality of Jesus in the Advent season because our eyes are drawn to many other characters around Jesus. Thus far, we've seen peasants and priests, we've seen shepherds and angels drawn into drawn into the tender mercy of our God. That's the banner that flies over this Advent season for us. And the series of sermons that we've been doing this Advent is, is under the title of the tender mercy of God. And we've seen how mercy is all over Luke chapter one and chapter two. Um, and so we've been trying to focus on that and keep our minds fixed on Jesus, the one who brings the tender mercy of our loving heavenly father to us in this time. Today, there's a waiting prophet and prophetess that gets to see. That's another big thing that Luke shows us, that people see. And when they see uh, and experience the tender mercy of God, they say something. Uh, like the others, they speak too. They don't just speak, they sing. Uh, and so we'll be looking at some of these uh, words that come out of the mouths of uh, Simeon, the prophet, and Anna, the prophetess. Uh, but first, before we look at these two waiting souls, uh, we begin first by looking at the obedient parents, Mary and Joseph, whom we've already been introduced to and have already shown themselves to be faithful, but now perhaps even more so. So we begin with the obedient parents in verses 21 to 24. 
And then we see waiting Simeon, the prophet, in verses 25 to 35. And then the text finishes in verses 36 through 38 with uh, the waiting prophetess uh, we call Anna. Let's look first at Mary and Joseph, the faithful parents, and how it is that they draw our attention to the babe we call Jesus the Christ, our Savior. As I have mentioned, we've already seen the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, and now even in greater detail, we see their faithfulness displayed in their obedience to the revealed word of God. It's really quite powerful when you see how much Luke works in the Old Testament in these first few verses to show us how steeped Mary and Joseph are in their culture, in their heritage, in their Old Testament, and how aware of the promises that God has made to the people of God back in that day. Uh, their faithfulness through their obedience is revealed in three ways, really quickly here in just in successive verses, right out of the gate. In verse 21, we, we see their obedience to the word as revealed through an, an angel in that they named the baby Jesus. Uh, there's no further conversation they received. In, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, where Mary is told that you'll, you'll be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you'll name him Jesus. Now, Luke, unlike Matthew, doesn't tell us a whole lot about what that means. But Matthew tells us that Jesus, Yahweh saves, uh, is, the baby is given that name because he has come to save his people. It's not that salvation doesn't run through this text. It does, and you're going to see it again in just a moment. But we see Mary and Joseph's obedience to the reveal, the revelation of the angel by naming the baby Jesus. That's verse 21. In verses 22 and 23, we see their obedience in the purification commands of the law of Moses. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's Leviticus 12. Leviticus chapter 12, it's the short chapter, and the entire chapter is given over to the purification that must take place after a woman in Israel gives birth. And so Mary and Joseph, together, uh, obedient to the word of the Lord, and are now entering Jerusalem to go through the purification rituals uh, as outlined in Leviticus 12 in the law of Moses. Thirdly, not only are they obedient to the revelation and naming their son Jesus, they're also obedient to go through the purification rituals uh, as commanded in the law of Moses, but also in verse 24, that they display their obedience despite their poverty by offering a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of Moses. That's verse 24. And to offer, they came up to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That was the offering that was to be made by those who were, um, shall we say, in the lower classes. They could not afford a, a larger, more expensive animal, but the Lord received what could be offered. And so we see uh, the tender mercy of the Lord being displayed here. And uh, even in their poverty, they're obedient. It does not keep them from obeying the law and making a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering. Uh, there are many theories on poverty. You perhaps have many ideas about them, but one thing that's very clear from the scriptures is that poverty isn't always due to some form of laziness. 
Now, there are a number of proverbs that suggests that the sluggard will become poor, and there's understanding of all of that. But when we see our Lord born in poverty to poverty-stricken parents, we know that poverty in and of itself is not a sin or a sign of God's condemnation. Indeed, just a little bit later in the gospel, according to Luke in the ninth chapter and 58th verse, Jesus himself will say, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Fascinating study about our Lord and our savior. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to delve into it anymore, but please note that Paul would take up this theme in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that the one who though rich, became poor so that we who were poor, spiritually speaking, might become rich by gaining an inheritance, being united to this person we call Jesus Christ. So we see the faithful parents, Mary and Joseph, and we learn that God's tender mercy enables obedience. You don't behave like this. You don't obey the word of God so eagerly, so sacrificially, if some work of God is not going on in your life. And so the principle that we derive from this opening scene is that God's tender mercy enables obedience despite hardship. Hardship in and of itself does not keep us from obeying the word of the Lord. It didn't, Mary and Joseph, I pray that you know the tender mercy of the Lord and that it doesn't keep you from obedience, obeying what the word of the Lord said, even in the midst of hardship. We, we segue now to the those who are waiting. We have a waiting prophet. We have a waiting prophetess. Uh, while in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph encounter a man. And now we meet Simeon, uh, the one who is about to sing a song as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Simeon, the waiting prophet. We know next to nothing about him. What's written here is what we have. Uh, but uh, what we are told is uh, admittedly not a bad resume. Simeon is one of the few characters in the scriptures where only good is said about him. He does not appear, I mean, he's a, he's a human being, fallen, so I'm, I'm sure he had his bad days. But as he's described, he's in the category of, of, a, of a Boaz. Uh, he's, he's in the category even of Joseph himself, where uh, all that is said about him is righteous and uh, obedience to the word of the, of the Lord. So Simeon is a, a shining example here uh, of a prophet, of a religious individual who is walking with the Lord. Uh, verse 25, the first half of verse 25 tells us that he was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon and, and then described as righteous and devout. Not bad, huh? At the end of the day, it, it stand before my maker and I'm declared to be righteous and devout. I'll take it. I'll take it. But this man, we see, we see, we get a window into his character and we know that uh, this is a faithful man of God. He's righteous and devout. And you read on in the second half of uh, verse 25, he's also waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, he is focused on the people of God. He's pleading uh, that the, the people of God know the comfort that is promised. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 51, certainly Simeon would have known these chapters well. And in fact, he might even be thinking these two chapters that cry out for the comfort of God to come to his people who by their own sin and waywardness 
have become alienated from God and are being subject to his judgment. And yet, in the midst of judgment, as is always the case, prophetically speaking, God always promises comfort to those who will return, to those who will come home. So Simeon, righteous and devout, firstly. Secondly, he's waiting. He's waiting patiently for the consolation of Israel. And then third, as we see right in that same verse in 25, the last part of it, he is uh, he has the Holy Spirit upon him. And like I said, this man, though little is said about him, has an awfully nice resume. He's righteous and devout. He's waiting. He's focused. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the Messiah to come and to restore all things to, the, to right. And he has the Holy Spirit upon him. He's soon to prophesy. And this is a man uh, of God who's clearly walking with the Lord and clearly a person that God wants on the stage as his son sits in the center of all of it. So what is Simeon going to do from here? Uh, like all other actors on the Advent stage, he's positioned again by the tender mercy of God in such a way as to be blessed. I think we can agree on that, right? Just what I read to you right now out of verse 25 strongly suggests that Simeon is a blessed man. But as you hear me say regularly in this pulpit, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And that's exactly what Simeon does. In fact, the, the language is, is nearly that, that he's going to pronounce a blessing, almost as though he's saying, Lord, you have blessed me, and now I can't help but allow that blessing to overflow and to be a blessing to someone else. Oh, I pray that for my own soul. I pray that for you as well, knowing the rich and deep blessing, the tender mercy of our God. Would you let it flow through you, particularly in this holy Advent season that others might see you not running around trying to find the next PS5, but that you would delight in the spirit being upon you and eager to share the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26 with me, would you? And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We don't know exactly how that happened, but the Lord, through the Spirit, made it clear that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Can you imagine? Simeon's probably an older man. He's been faithful. He, he has been told by the Holy Spirit that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. Can you imagine? Imagine waiting for something your entire life. And then you're told by God, the Holy Spirit, that you, your prayers will be answered and that you will see the Messiah. I cannot fathom the anticipation that, that's, that this man must have known. Uh, it's nerve-wracking just to preach it. I can't imagine, I can't imagine receiving that word and wait, but full of exuberance he is, and you will we'll see that in just a moment, uh, and see him, see the Messiah, he did. Simeon, as I said up front, and as we see in our characters on this Advent stage, Simeon sees, and he doesn't just say something, Simeon, like Mary, like Zechariah, sings. He sings a sweet song over this dear couple and this baby. But before he does that, scripture tells us, verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple. So he's all prayed up. He's got a word on his heart. He's full of exuberance. He's been touched by the tender mercy of the Lord. He comes in the spirit 
into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, is the obedience of Mary and Joseph again, he took up in his arms, Simeon did, and blessed God and said, can you imagine, just pause there for a second with me before we listen to what he's saying. There, probably in the outer courts of the temple, all kinds of uh, uh, movement going on. Try, try to imagine uh, under non-pandemic conditions, try to imagine uh, the Staten Island Mall this week. All the hustle and bustle and the exchange and the greetings and all that going on. It might have been something like that in the outer courts of the temple and Simeon finds this couple. We don't know exactly how it happened. We can only surmise that it was under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, but now they meet. Simeon's been waiting for this his entire life and he sees the child. Can you imagine? Can you feel it? Can you hear it, taste it, touch it? And he takes the child and Mary and Joseph give the child to him and he, he raises it almost, almost as a sacrifice, lifts it up. And he says, First, the high notes in verses 29 to 32. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in shalom, in peace, according to your word. Lord, you gave me your word and you followed through on it. You've kept your word, Lord, and now is complete. You can take me now, Lord. I've seen Jesus. I can go home now. I'm at perfect peace. For my eyes have seen Interestingly, he does not say, my eyes have seen this baby, but my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon, under the guidance and direction of the Spirit of God, knew exactly what this child was. This was the Messiah. This was the one who would come to save the chosen people of God. He goes on, that you have prepared salvation, the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. This has not been a light hidden under a bushel. And though the birth of Christ was in a faraway land, the coming out party is beginning. And so now this one, read on with me if you would, this one who is a light, a light for salvation to the Gentiles, the entire non-Jewish world now has a light piercing the darkness. And this is Simeon singing a prophecy that I can now go home, says Simeon, because I've seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory, the, the, the cherry on top of the salvation Sunday for your people, Israel. Remember, as I teach you, that we are are, are, are those who are grafted into the olive tree. We are the new and true Israel. For as we've seen Paul say in Romans 9, 10, and 11, not all who are from Abraham's line are of Abraham, but for those who are of the promise. And so Simeon, seeing way better, apparently, than anybody else knows at this moment, covenant, Abrahamic covenant fulfillment, in this child. And so he lifts this child up. He's exalting. My eyes have seen your salvation prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for salvation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This prophet is seeing the covenant fulfilled and he sings. 
My prayer is the same for you, that you are as enthused as Simeon is in seeing your salvation. For we, as you hear me say often, being on this side of the cross, we are in an even more blessed position than Simeon himself, if you can believe that or not. We have seen the risen Jesus, and we've known his power in our lives. Oh, may we sing, church. May we delight in his tender mercy that has been shown to us. Those are the high notes, but Simeon's not done. And for the very first time in this Advent narrative, there are low notes. There's darkness. As I remind you, Advent is about light, yes, but it's about light because it comes in the darkness. Verse 33 tells us that the mother and father marveled at what was said about him. They're still trying to figure all of this out. Can you imagine hearing from an angel and the shepherds and heavenly hosts and now this prophet in this temple complex and all this is going on? And then Simeon hits the low notes. Simeon blessed the parents, blessing. So now he's going to bless and said to Mary, he focuses on Mary, says to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Not everybody's going to love Jesus. In fact, he's going to divide. Jesus himself would say that in, in his later years. He would say that um, I've come to divide a family. Allegiance to Christ will cause divisions even in our own families. I pray you haven't, haven't had to know that. But if you have, know that obedience to Christ, even when loved ones, family and friends, depart because you maintain a witness to Jesus Christ is something that you should rejoice over. Because as they've done it to those in the earlier generations, so they do it to you. Your day awaits. But it's not only just division that he's going to cause in Israel, but the text goes on to tell us in verse 34 that um, he is a sign that is opposed. It's mind-boggling to think that this one would ever find opposition, but most of you who are hearing me this morning fully aware of where this road is leading. The Gospels are about the road from the cradle to the cross, and we know that the shadow of the cross looms large over Bethlehem's manger. And here, here out of the mouth of this prophet, this spirit-anointed prophet, he's looking mother in the eye and telling mother that Jesus will not only divide, but he will be opposed. And then he goes one step further, and in verse 35 says directly to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I can't begin to imagine the relationship between mother and child. I certainly can understand the relationship of father to child. And remotely, I can understand the, the connection between a mother and a child. And for Simeon the prophet to look Mary in the eye, Mary who's still marveling, who's still hiding these things in her heart, now hears that something's going to happen to her son that's going to pierce her. And I've heard one, more than one parent say that I wish I could take the pain of my child so that my child doesn't have to endure this. I've said things like that in my life. And now the prophet Simeon says to Mary, you're going to witness 
something that your son's going to go through that's going to that's going to rip you up we know that john tells us in john chapter 19 and verse 25 that mary is one of the few that are at the foot of the cross when her son hangs bleeding and dying one can't think that while there some 30 years later mary's thinking back to this moment and all that she's been treasuring in her heart now is all clicking together is this the end of him that spear that you've thrust into my side you may as well have thrust it into my own this is my son my firstborn the one specially conceived and delivered and this is where it's going to end jesus will divide jesus will be opposed god's tender mercy however enables hope-filled waiting we see that in the person of simeon and he he enables hope-filled waiting despite circumstances that are contrary to our expectations we didn't see this coming simeon didn't necessarily see it coming and mary i don't think that mary saw it coming either and yet god's tender mercy enables waiting hope-filled waiting despite the circumstances that are contrary to our expectations i know that some of you out there today are living through situations right now that you never expected to happen hear the word of the lord for you today and hear that god's tender mercy meets you in those moments and though your expectations might be uh, not what you thought god's tender mercy is there to fuel your hope filled waiting be encouraged hear this word from the lord finally we come to the waiting prophetess anna much less said about her but here too a, a sterling resume luke shows us that the savior has come for all types of people peasants and priests the unclean and the righteous male and female young and old and now we've got an aged prophetess saint godly woman advent's final actor Anna's piety, her holiness is evident from her dedication to the temple worship. Who is she? Well, verse 36 tells us that she was a young widow. She'd only been married seven years and her husband had died and then she never remarried and then lived to be 84 years old. Spent that entire time in the, in the temple praying and fasting night and day. This is a godly woman. This is a woman that would have been sought out for counsel. Oh, I pray and I have been praying. How I pray for our older saints, male and female, but especially our older spiritual moms. Finish well, older spiritual moms. We want you to have the spirit of Anna upon you, that you pray and fast and that you're dedicated to worship and to witness, that we can come to you and say, tell me, what has it been like? Tell me what you've learned about the Lord. Oh, how I long for that in our aged saints. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming one, but there are those that are ahead of me in, in, in the church and our little place, but also in other places as well. Oh, if you're hearing me today and you're an aged saint, don't think that your journey's over. Don't think that you've, you've done your three score and 10 and now you're going to rest and ride on out until the day of Christ. No, God has something more for you to do. Our spiritual fathers and our spiritual mothers, we need you to rise up and we need your wisdom. We need your experience. 
This is who she is. This is what she does. And we see here that God's tender mercy enables worship. It enables witness. Because she came at that very hour, verse 38 tells us, to give thanks to God and to speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She, like Simeon, just filled to overflowing. She couldn't be stopped from gossiping the gospel. Let me tell you how faithful my Savior has been and what I've just seen. I've seen something. Now I'm going to say something. God's tender mercy enables not just worship, but it enables witness as well, despite our stage of life, whether you're young or whether you're old, that ought not in any way to be an excuse not to worship and not to witness to the wonderful things that God has done for you in the display of his tender mercy through Jesus Christ. What a word, what a cast of characters, if you please, all around the Christ child. Christians, you and I, are also actors on the Advent stage. Believe it or not, we too are there. It's a long stage. It's a long story that has been told, that is being told, and that will be told. We live. We live waiting. We live in anticipation of the second coming, of the second Advent. We are between the Advent's people. And so we take a lot from these characters, how they were so faithful, how they held to the promise of God, how despite their circumstances and expectations that have been changed up over the years, despite all that, they were able to wait and to do so with hope. Is there a word that's more fitting in our world today? We need hope. Many have hope now because there's a vaccine on the way. But our final hope, as we all know, is not in a vaccine. It is a tender mercy of the Lord, I would argue, I would confess. But at the end of the day, our capital H hope is not in a vaccine, is not in a virus that's going away. Our ultimate hope, far from going away, our ultimate hope is in a Savior who's coming back, who's returning. And so we live in anticipation of him, of the one coming from the city of David, of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Church, as I wind up this, this holy season of Advent, and we approach the end for what many of us will have been the most difficult year of our lives, let me urge you, let me exhort you in closing, let us heed the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews and fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us lay aside those things that distract the, the encumbrances, the weight of our sin. Let us confess it and move it aside so that we might be fixed, singularly focused. Simeon, Anna, Mary, Zechariah, focused on the person of Jesus, our eyes fixed on him. Where are your eyes in this season? Let them be upon Jesus Christ. And let us follow the example of Luke's Advent actors as we live with eager longing for the return of Jesus. Do you long for the return of Christ? I confess to you that there are seasons when I, I don't. I, I, I don't wanna leave my wife. I don't wanna leave my daughter. Uh, there's more, more books to read. There's more things to write. There's more sermons to preach and there's more prayers to pray. And I'm brought up short to think, but wait, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Oh, 
I pray that you would take this biblical exhortation, exhortation to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and to live with eager, patient longing for the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And may all of this, God bless you, may all of this be done in, with, and by the tender mercy of our God. Would you please pray with me? How gracious and heavenly God, how merciful you are to us, how kind and how patient you are with us. Oh, Father, would you transform us by the renewing of our minds, by saturation in the word. Father, you have given us a word. You have sent us a savior, one who is greater than Mary and Joseph, one who is greater than the shepherds and the prophets, one who is greater than the angels. You've sent us this one, this one who is the faithful covenant keeper, the one who is the promise, the one from the line of David is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. May those who are hearing me this day, Father, see the glory of Jesus. And may they be free to sing and to say something about what they've seen. We love you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon the dear saints in attendance here this day. And may this week be a week of refreshment for them as they anticipate the celebration of the birth of our Lord. And even more importantly, anticipate his return. He's coming. May we be ready. By your mercy, we will be. We ask it in his name, Father, and for his glory. Amen and amen.